Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode one of The Press. My name is Darnay Tripp, and I'm joining you from Spokane, Washington, where I am the sports director of the CBS affiliate Creme 2 in Spokane. This is an idea I've kind of had rattling around the back of my head, so psyched to finally get it off the ground. Each episode will have a different guest involved, usually in some way, shape, or form in the world of sports, although not always. Next week's episode with uh, Brian Stelter, the host of CNN's Reliable Sources on Sunday mornings. We kind of get into some more uh, media and in some cases, sports media topics. Had a great conversation with him. Episode one, Ken Pomeroy of KenPom.com, a site known very well to college basketball fans. He has been a key figure in the emergence of analytics in sports. I got a chance to meet with him uh, while covering Gonzaga in Phoenix for the Final Four. Had a great conversation with him then. It was kind of a no-brainer uh, to, to get with him on the podcast as well. Uh, a few thank yous before we start. David Fowler, who came up with a name for the press over a beer at the Gilded Unicorn in Spokane. Michael Preston of the Coog Center Hour uh, for his valuable insight in kind of getting this thing off the ground. If you're a WSU football fan, uh, it's a no-brainer to listen to the Coog Center Hour. Sean Widmer, who has uh, really pushed me to get this thing started, if for no other reason than to give him another podcast to listen to. Uh, but tons of helpful advice and the use of his equipment as well. Make sure to check out the Sean Widmer podcast. Does great work there. Uh, Paul Nuella Trip. Because uh, they're my parents, and I, I should always thank them. Uh, but they also uh, hooked it up with one of the mics I'll be using. Uh, Justin Tripp, big brother, uh, designed the logo for the press. And the music you're hearing as well, he's one half of Georgia. You can hear their record, All Kind Music, on Spotify and Apple Music as well. And to all the guests, anybody who listens, much, much appreciated. All right, let's get going with episode one of The Press with Ken Pomeroy. So how was your time in Phoenix? Uh, it was good. I got to meet with a lot of different people and uh, um, you know, a lot of people that I just knew from uh, electronic correspondence and got to meet face to face. So it was pretty fruitful. I mean, I think I mentioned I was out of there like Friday night or Saturday morning. So didn't savor the games, but, uh, but it was fun just kind of being around the scene and hanging out with people. What did you think of the games themselves? Uh, they were pretty good. I thought uh, about three games were uh, were pretty entertaining. So uh, I think definitely lived up to the lived up to the billing. What do you think when you the season's over? We have a national champion. It all kind of plays out. Do you kind of take inventory of what happened and and look at your numbers and how everything played out? Kind of once it's all said and done. A little bit, you know, I'm doing that kind of all season. Um, the tournament, you know, the, obviously people understand that it's a crapshoot. So uh, I'm not uh, too hard on my system, you know, when it comes to like the results of, you know, a handful of games in the tournament, but certainly like the entire season, just seeing how things play out, which teams might be, which types of teams might be overrated or underrated. I mean, those are the things that I'm kind of thinking about um, pretty much each, each season as, as things um, evolve, you know, during the, the season. Any big surprises, you think, from, you know, early November to the way things shook out? Um, I mean, yeah, the way, you know, it is funny because, like, from the way, you know, from the way things shook out, there's a lot of, like, little kind of things that happened during the season and people, I feel like that's kind of the, 
the, uh, the, the territory of the AP voters is to kind of like manufacture sort of storyline. Like Baylor was one of those cases where, you know, they weren't ran- They didn't even get any votes, I think, in the AP poll or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. And then they end up becoming number one and they were, ne- they were never like the best team in the country. They were, you know, uh, 10th, 12th, best, something like that. I mean, they were a surprise in that sense, but you know, you, they won a couple of games at key moments and they end up, you know, other people lost games at key moments, they end up being number one and people get all crazy about it. But um, so, I mean, Baylor would be a mild surprise. The, the, the point being, I guess, that Baylor didn't receive any votes in the preseason poll. They ended up being number one. Whereas if you look at computer polls, they were like, you know, I had them 25th and others had them in the 20s and I never got higher than sixth or seventh. So, so the computer polls are a little more measured, I think, and not reacting to one event here, one event there. So, um, so, you know, by the end of the season, you think there weren't that many, like, surprises at the top. I mean, obviously, Gonzaga was a surprise. They were a hard team to gauge at the beginning of the season just because they had so many new parts. And, um, you know, there were teams like Baylor that were surprises. West Virginia, I think, was a, you know, a reasonable surprise. They were a really good team um, pretty much throughout the season. And I don't think people quite expected them to be as good as they were. But there wasn't anything that necessarily, you know, you'll remember 10 years from now as being this sort of, uh, you know, crazy uh, turn of events during the season. Anybody in particular that, that you had ranked high based on your numbers that maybe wasn't getting the type of national love that, that ended up doing well, that maybe uh, an opportunity for you to pat yourself on the back a little bit? Uh, that's a good question. Um, there were a few teams like that, but trying to remember them all is uh, kind of challenging. For some reason, I remember the, the you know, the bad teams like, Ohio State, who I had ranked um, really high. But, it, you know, it is funny. Like, you get to the end of the season and or the middle of the season or whatever, and people think, oh, wow, this team was really surprising. And this, you know, they're just basically basing it on their, like, their own perception or their buddy's perception of what a team should have been. And, and it does – it's still, you know, there's a number of, like, preseason computer ratings now, and I'm a little surprised. I'm not saying they're infallible or they're even better necessarily than humans, but they're kind of right there for the most part with – uh, humans in terms of uh, picking up on things and, and um, you know, kind of finding uh, teams that should be good that maybe for whatever reason, like the, the herd mentality of the media doesn't pick up on. And, uh, and so I don't, I wish I had a great uh, example for you <laughs> off the top of my head. Part of it is I've just kind of dumped a bunch of information from my brain over the last five weeks, but uh, they're definitely, or, you know, Florida, I guess Florida is a good case, right? Like uh-huh. they were, 17th uh, in my preseason poll and very quickly like jumped in the top 10 and it took them a while to get in the top 25 because they weren't really playing a difficult schedule preseason. Hmm. Um, they also weren't playing in their own building. And, um, you know, obviously when they lost to Gonzaga, maybe people didn't think, you know, Gonzaga was that great or, or things like that. So, uh, so that would be an example of a team that people like by the end of the season, they're like, well, this team, they might be really good. Well, there was some evidence like even as early as late November that they might be really good. And people, you know, are trapped in this mindset that you have to, you know, beat some sort of great team to prove that you're really good, but you can, you know, you can make some pretty worthwhile judgments before a team actually beats a great team and understand that they're, they're really, really good. Yeah. How much are you able to, to judge that? I know strength of schedule is yeah, obviously a metric for everybody for you. How, how do you factor that in or I guess to what extent do you factor that in when you know not, not everybody's gonna come out and play a bunch of 
top 25 teams right out of the gate. So it might be difficult uh, to tell how good they are. Or you could have an issue like a team with Gonzaga had a good non-conference, but obviously their conference, you know, for the most part is is weaker. How are you able to factor that in and still get a, a determination on how good of a team is when that isn't always equal? And in some cases, there are extremes one way or another. Yeah, it's always a hard question to answer because there's no like uh, quantitative <laughs> response to this. But, uh, you know, it really comes down to, by and large, scoring margin, uh, you know, and also where the game is played, you know, factoring in something that I think uh, humans tend to ignore in the college game for whatever reason. I got my theories. But, <laughs> you know, when a team goes on the road and beats like the 100th best team in non-conference play, it's not a quality win. It's not going to jump out at you. But uh, it, it does mean something, especially if they win that game, you know, by double digits or win it impressively. Um, so that's, that's kind of the shortcut to get there. You, you, uh, um, margin of victory isn't infallible. And, you know, that's one of the issues I, you know, it came to the forefront this year with really Wichita state and Gonzaga and, and St. Mary's for that matter as well. I mean, they all beat lesser teams consistently by a billion points and, uh, trying to, translate that to uh you know what they would do against uh you know top 20 competition is really challenging and uh and i don't know that my system is that great at it i mean it's by and large good enough for the vast majority of cases but i think this year like all those teams are slightly overrated in my system and uh you know once we got into the tournament i mean that's the that's the thing about the tournament where you know you ask like kind of how i how i judge you know my system or, or how it's working it's you know looking at the point spreads in the end of the tournament and if my system is kind of matching the point spreads, I feel pretty good, but, um, you know, pretty much all those teams were consistently favored by less than I had them favored. And so, um, so I, I guess to answer your question, it's a, it's a challenge to factor in schedule <laughs> strength when there are big differences among teams, which, which of course does happen occasionally. You mentioned your system for people that maybe aren't as familiar with KenPom.com or, you know, just, just don't know or quite have a, a good handle mm-hmm. on, uh, the math, uh, or just the the mechanics behind it, so to speak. How how would you describe what you do in your process? Um, well, the goal is to rate uh, all the teams uh, basically on how how good they are. So it's not like the AP poll where you know I feel like the voters are trying to like kind of create this uh, you know kind of almost standings based approach like. There are no stand, national standings in college basketball like there are in professional leagues. So yeah. people kind of want to reward wins and penalize losses. And um, so that's kind of what the AP poll does. But, uh, you know, my system is more of a, a, I guess, power rating, although I feel like that term has kind of been hijacked by certain people who don't do power ratings. But, um, you know, it, it basically just tries to say, hey, if Team A played Team B tonight, what would be the expected outcome? You know, you think of that as a point spread or whatever, but um, – that's the goal of it. So uh, what makes my system unique, I think over others is that it, you know, it looks at offensive and defensive efficiency of each team. So it, uh, you know, it's not necessarily just about the one to 351 list. It's about, uh, you know, why is this team good or why are they not good? Are they better offensively? Are they better defensively? Um, and then, you know, subscribers to the site get even more information about why a team's good offensively or defensively. So it's, the rating system gets, uh, you know, the lion's share of the publicity, but, uh, I try to uh, uh, make sure people understand that, uh, you know, the kind of the underpinnings of the rating system, the, you know, the stats that are out there, there's a lot more 
you can become a lot more informed fan, I think, by using my site as opposed to just focusing on the ratings themselves. Sure. One thing I thought was interesting the first time we talked is you obviously you take what you do very seriously, but you also kind of take it with a grain of salt to a certain degree. I mean, for in talking to you, you see what you do just as another lens through which we can view college basketball, the teams, where people stand, who's good, who's not. It's not you, you don't necessarily view it as like the Bible, right? I mean, it's just kind of another uh, way for basketball fans to, uh, I guess, be be knowledgeable and be informed and have some context for you know, where all these various teams stand and, and for what reason. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's why I got into it. Uh, you know, it's college basketball is, is unique in that sense. I mean, there's, you know, 351 teams and, uh, you know, I, I'm probably like really knowledgeable about like three or four of them, you know, <laughs> like, I, you know, those are there's probably three or four teams that I watch maybe at least, you know, eight or nine times in a season and, you know, obviously I'm watching other teams as well, but I'm just, uh, for some of them, I'm just catching them once or twice and, uh, you know, not necessarily uh, processing all that information uh, in an objective way. So, um, so I think it really helps, you know, to have a reference for, to kind of check your uh, pre- preconceived notions. And, but also, like, if you just don't know anything at all, and that obviously happens, in, you know, if your favorite team is playing, uh, you know, whoever in non-conference play, there's a lot of teams they play that you have, you have no knowledge of at all before they play. And so I... You know, I just wanted to create a resource that it would be um, pretty easy and, and straightforward to just figure out what a team's strengths and weaknesses were, what the players do well, uh, things like that. I think people, you know, they they get bogged down in the kind of the term analytics or advanced stats, and obviously I have that term, you know, on the on the banner on my site, so I'm guilty as, as anyone else. But you know, it's not the math is not an issue here. You don't have to do the math. You know, the numbers I think are for the most part self-explanatory. I'm not gonna say they all are, but you know, I think that's pretty easy to understand. It's not like there's some, you know, black box formula that, um, you know, is involved for most of the stuff on my site. What kind of sports fan were you as a kid? Oh, I mean, I was like in the, you know, pretty much everything, but my favorite sports were baseball and, and college basketball. And, uh, I think over time, you know, I think, I think most kids out here are attracted to baseball. As I was because it was, you know, a summer sport and you're not in school. And so you can follow it really closely and, you know, stay up late and watch games or whatever. Um, so that was probably part of the reason I like baseball, but um, as time went on, for some reason, I just gravitated towards college basketball. I think just because I like uh, sports that or any activities really that have a, a pace to them. You know, I don't like standing around and, and, you know, watching other people stand around as tends to happen in baseball. And obviously the, length of baseball games has gotten longer. It's just harder to like really invest the time to kind of actual baseball game on TV. So, um, so yeah, so growing up, those are my two big sports. I mean, I followed other sports as well and, um, you know, still do to some extent, but, uh, college basketball is always kind of the, the big passion for, uh, for me and my friends in school. But did you, did you view the game any differently though, or, or process it any differently? Because, I mean, most people didn't go the direction that, that you did. I mean, you, you took something you were passionate about and, and a fan of and uh, you know, created this system and this process um, kind of by digging deeper into the, the stats and the numbers. I mean, uh, other people didn't do that. I mean, when what, what triggered that for you? I mean, do you think you viewed sports differently or, or kind of just analyzed them differently growing up that, that kind of led you down this path eventually? Uh, you know, I... 
obviously at some point that happened, but when I was younger, I watched sports like anyone else. Like I, you know, I was, I, I was more inclined to like appreciate numbers as opposed to words. And so I was, a, I was a mass, you know, kind of guy, but, um, but I didn't really watch games thinking about, I mean, and, you know, when I was growing up in the, you know, mid to late eighties, early nineties, like it, you know, analytics weren't a thing. I mean, Bill James was out there and I, I loved his work, but I just loved it because he was like using numbers. I didn't necessarily appreciate his, maybe his writing as much um, as other people did. So, um, so I, you know, I, you know, I wasn't really probably any different than anyone else. It was more as, you know, like kind of money bossing. Now that's kind of what triggered my interest is that I've, you know, I've always had, I, I was always interested in like the Sagarin ratings and, uh, you know, kind of ways to, uh, to crunch numbers for the sport, but I never, um, you know, thought about advanced statistics until really Moneyball came out and uh, around that time, I, mean, I don't know if Moneyball had come out yet or not, but it was kind of around that time, early 2000s, you know, there was a lot of like work going on in baseball at that time, people online that were writing about advanced stats in baseball. And so that's kind of what triggered me to be interested in uh, the basketball side of things. You'd watch games and people would comment about slow paced teams having great defenses and it just seemed like the, the discussion of pretty simple concepts of basketball were uh, being uh, corrupted by the pace that the team played at. And I was, the more I just thought about it, the more I felt like there's got to be a better way to do this and <laughs> looked around for who was doing it that better way. And really nobody was, you know, in 2002, 2003, around there. So, um, so I kind of figured I'd jump in and just do it at least for my own, own amusement. And, uh, and that's kind of what got me into it. How, how did it start? Well, you know, I don't, <laughs> it's one of those things I don't remember. I knew it was going to get to this point. <laughs> I would have, you know, documented how things started. I, I remember, uh, like I wanted to compute points per possession and I just didn't have like the computing uh, ability to, to do that. And I thought, it, you know, first of all, it, uh, there'd be no chance you could do it like on a, you know, basically live updating basis. But it was at the end of the, I think, 2001, 2002 season, right? Something clicked that, you know, my other job working as a meteorologist where I kind of did some programming there. And I was like, yeah, I think actually I could just take what I did here and like get the data I need for college basketball. And so I, I remember uh, computing points per possession, I think at the end of the, pretty sure it was the end of the 02 season. And, uh, and Oddly enough, I do remember this. Like, Gonzaga had the best offensive efficiency in the country that year <laughs> uh, in raw terms. And, uh, and, and I just kind of put it on the shelf, you know, for the next couple of years. Like, I didn't – again, it was, like, from my own kind of knowledge, didn't think of acting on it or anything like that. And then, for whatever reason, like, a couple of years later, I, you know, had my site. It, was, it had a little bit more visibility, and I decided, you know, I was just doing, like, ratings of weird sports and, like, the RPI, and <laughs> it was a really – didn't look anything like it looks today, but um, at that point, for some reason, I decided to jump back into it and actually publish the information for the 04 season. I don't know what happened to the data for the 02 season, but it vanished. <laughs> I was able to kind of recalculate it years later, but uh, but yeah, that, that original effort just disappeared. And uh, anyway, like the 04 season where things kind of really, the end of the 04 season, heading into the tournament, that was the year I think it was, um, mm. was kind of a big deal. They were undefeated heading into the A-10 tournament. And uh there's a lot of controversy about whether they were good or bad or whatever. And, um, so I kind of started calculating stats just kind of prompted by that issue and um, things, things just gradually grew from there. How difficult was it to come up with the various formulas that you use? 
Uh, it wasn't uh, initially. It wasn't too difficult because uh, Dean Oliver, who um, did a lot of this work for NBA teams at the time, uh, had written a book called Basketball on Paper and kind of outlined, uh, you know, the tools that he used. Um, and so that you know really was an inspiration. He you know he he had this concept of the four factors, which is not you know super duper advanced thinking, but it's just the fact that there are really four categories of stats. The shooting turnovers, rebounds, and free throws that basically describe, you know, your entire offense or your entire defense. And so, um, so that's kind of what got me started was, this, you know, I had the idea for offensive efficiency on my own, not realizing that like dozens of other people had also thought of it before me, but I thought I was like <laughs> some sort of like savant thinking of it. But, but then reading Dean's book, like he had done it and he had the four factors. So I just kind of started with that, you know, offensive efficiency and the four factors and put them on a, put them on a page in my site. Um, and, you know, just reading his book, like, got me thinking more and more about what, you know, what kind of stats would be useful in the game. And, uh, you know, the, the vast majority of stuff on my site are basically um, either taken directly from him or kind of offshoots hmm. of his work. So uh, um, he deserves a, a lot of credit for kind of inspiring me to, to get started. What's the most complicated involved formula that you use? Well, you know, the one for uh, uh, personal offensive rating is uh, pretty insane. Um, so there's... <laughs> You know, team offensive rating or offensive efficiency, those are, those are interchangeable terms, but it's basically points per possession mm-hmm. or points per 100 possessions, depending on uh, your arbitrary uh, desire for numbers after the decimal place. But um, so that stuff, you know, it's pretty easy to calculate on team level, just points per 100 possessions. Um, but on, for individual players, you have to determine, you know, what possessions are the players responsible for. And that formula is one that Dean Oliver came up with that is, really involved and uh it took you know many tries to kind of duplicate his work and and get it correct but uh and you know even now like there's multiple you know places out there that are computing this kind of stuff and i think we all have like slightly different numbers for offensive rating because you know if you miss a a thing you know a, a term here or a term mm-hmm. there uh you know you can end up with slightly different numbers so yeah that's definitely definitely the most complicated but again it's one of those things where it's like you know, the end user doesn't need to really understand the formula. They just need to understand the output, which I think is pretty yeah. simple. You know, when a player, you know, it's basically a personal efficiency, you know, players, uh, players points produced per a hundred possessions that player uses. It's just like team efficiency, but on the player level. What is the formula? I mean, I can't, <laughs> I couldn't like describe it. It's like, you, like you can't describe it like the, the quadratic quadratic equation or something like that. No, no. I mean, it's got so many, it's got so many parts to it that, uh, I mean, I obviously, I don't even, you know, any, I don't have it anywhere close to memorize. Like it's just, you know, it's wow, a computer it's that. somewhere oh, and it, it just, you know, it just, does, the code does its thing when I get data. It's, I'm sure it's been nice, uh, especially the last few years. Like you said, it's, it's been going on for baseball. Um, you know, which makes sense because baseball's always been so much about the numbers, so it would appeal to the baseball fan, but it's growth throughout sports and basketball and in football. I mean, you'd see stuff like uh, yards per route run for receivers and, and that sort of thing. It's got to feel good for you to see it be embraced kind of across sports and then this hunger to go deeper into it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, certainly... I've been happy with the way it's, it's uh, you know, progressed in college basketball. Like there's you know, a number of people in the media that um, use this information and, and use it intelligently. And, 
you know, I don't, I'm not sure the same can be said for college football. Like, I, I guess if I had to pick like the, my third sport or probably second sport at this point, because baseball's going to drop out the radar, but you know, college football, I do follow, you know, somewhat closely, especially before basketball season starts. And when I mean, you watch, uh, I can't recall a broadcast where I've seen somebody drop any kind of like, you know, intelligent advanced stat on college mm-hmm. football or, you know, talk about the research that's gone on in terms of, you know, the, the punt decision on fourth down and, um, other decisions I'm going to go for too. Like there's a lot of like great research out there. That I think it's pretty simple to understand. And, uh, for some reason, like college football, man, it, like does not, <laughs> does not make any inroads, but, um, you know, we've done pretty well in college basketball over the years. I think, uh, you know, even the casual fan has heard the term offensive efficiency, even if they don't know what it means or don't want anything to do with stats, they've at least heard it. And that's because, you know, a number of guys on ESPN have, have used it on a fairly regular basis. So, uh, so that has been, uh, you know, pretty cool to see. Well, we talked about this in Phoenix. What's it going to take to get KenPom.com slash football? Yeah, I, it, it might happen someday. I don't know. But <laughs> uh, I mean, the problem is like the thing about the basketball side, you know, people will ask me too about women's basketball and like, I just don't, I just don't watch women's basketball. Like, I really have time for one sport, you know, during the winter and uh so it's you know it, it would probably take it's gonna take somebody else to do it is what it's gonna take more than likely <laughs> I and mean, there's you know there are times where i'll watch a game and i'll get really frustrated at like a stat somebody uses to make a point and that's that doesn't make their point at all and i feel like you know there does need to be kind of like a louder voice out there <laughs> more angry voice out there or something i don't know that kind of like explains why this stat is bad and here's a better stat to use and here's a place to go get that stat if you want to use it um so there's a temptation every now and then and i'm not saying i would never do it but you know i'm just not nearly as big of a college football fan as i am a college basketball fan so um i'm pretty sure i couldn't do the sport justice like you know the thing is about college basketball there's like a glitch in my data or there's some sort of like you know error or I hear about something kind of weird that happened in a game that I might need to like fix in my, in my database. Um, I'm paying attention to the sport all the time. Like, you know, I do see this stuff or I know when there's an error, you know, I I checking data on my site all the time. So I, I can catch those things on my own, even in some, you know, obviously other people catch it as well, but a lot of times I'm catching those things before they make it to the public. Whereas college football, I mean, I would miss a lot of that stuff and uh, it'd be very difficult, I think, to, to maintain and, 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 you know, kind of, uh, produce uh, the site in a way that I do for college basketball. Well, I think there's something to be said for for doing what you're passionate about, right? I mean, the fact that you're a big college basketball fan, so you put your energy into this, and maybe you're less inclined to do it with a sport like college football that you still appreciate, but aren't quite as invested in. Maybe the the, the work would suffer as a result. I mean, I, that's that's probably a good thing that you're focusing your efforts on something that you you know care so deeply about and have for so long. Yeah, it's easy to, uh, you know, there's a, people always ask me, like, how much I'm working, you know, during the season or whatever. And I, I mean, I don't work a lot, but, it's, you know, it's, sometimes there's some things I do that feel like work, but most of the stuff I do, especially related to crunching numbers or programming on the site or things like that, like, kind of the fun stuff for me, like, that doesn't really feel like work. So it's hard to kind of, like, figure out how many hours I'm putting in. But I don't know that I'd have that same feeling all the time for college, for college football, you know, kind of putting together the site or putting together measures or things like that. Like it probably would feel a bit more like work just because I don't know that I would personally uh, enjoy the output as much as I, I do for basketball. And it's pretty, it's dialed for basketball now. I mean, you, you said you have some work you have to do early in the season, but 
once it starts, the the site to an extent kind of populates itself, doesn't it? Yeah, I, you know, there's there's one or two things that can like kind of throw uh, the the site for a loop in terms of like games getting canceled or rescheduled or missing a box score, and there's always like, and now they do this this game in China every year, which I think uh, I believe the Pac-12 was involved in. They mm. they play a game in China every year, like the first week of the season, and that always is like kind of a pain to to handle because the date in China is like different from the date here. It's hard to explain, but the bottom line is like, it's a mess, you know, when that game gets played, I believe it's on opening, it is on the opening night. So it's like Friday night, but it's Saturday in China or something. It's anyway, that's the one thing that throws my site for a loop. But other than that, like, I think I could just turn it on and let it run. And uh, for the most part, it would probably get through the season without, looking too bad. There might be a, a, a glitchy, you know, a few glitchy numbers that get into the system, but for the most part, it could just run itself. So that, that was definitely a major breakthrough from the early days where I was really just like staying <laughs> up, you know, until the games ended. And I mean, invariably, you know, Hawaii would be playing, you know, one of those late night <laughs> games and you just want to go to bed. And it's like, of course the game would like going to double overtime and then you got to wait for the Hawaii, you know, Cal State Fullerton box score to come in. So that takes like another hour and, yeah, there were some late nights updating the site. So it was definitely a nice breakthrough to get to the point where I, you know, really didn't have to babysit the site uh, until the very end of the night. And it just kind of basically updates itself for the most part. And you're able to do some uh, consulting for, I don't know if consulting is the right word, but but work with, with teams or coaches. I mean, they they reach out to you. I, I you, you posted, um, you know, offering help with scheduling and that sort of thing. What does that work look like when a team contacts you and uh, wants help with scheduling or, um, you know, just expresses an interest in the analytics and how they might be able to better themselves by paying closer attention to to the numbers and, and where they fit and where they can improve that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, those kind of conversations vary, um, you know, a lot of it happens during the off season, actually, like if a coach is interested or wants to know more about how to use my site. Like it's very easy for me to have a conversation with them and explain how it works and maybe offer some, sometimes people will ask for, you know, feelings about their team and like, Hey, what do I think they should be doing differently? And it's usually, I, That's one thing I learned flattering. over the past 15 years is that coaches are, they pretty much know what they're doing in terms of like doling out playing time or whatever system they're playing. I mean, usually it, if they've taken the time to like ask me a question about this, they probably like, they probably already know what they're doing. It's the ones who wouldn't even think about asking me that are probably doing some things, uh, um, suboptimally, but, um, <laughs> but you know, during the season, I, you know, I do have like statistical services. I, you know, I have play by play data that, um, that I can mine for various insights on what players do well or what teams, you know, what tendencies teams have. Um, so I can offer some commentary on that. I mean, that's, uh, mostly what I do. And I'm really planning to kind of like open up that service to like everybody, you know, basically automate it and uh, put all the information on my site somewhere, which should be, you know, kind of an extra service for, uh, for coaches to use. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, it really kind of the, the insight that people want kind of runs the game. And sometimes they just want the data and they got guys that can, you know, analyze the data, but sometimes they want the analysis side of it as well. So I, you know, I can do a little bit of both. It's got to be kind of flattering, though, to, to have coaches reach out to you as, as often as they do. Yeah, I mean, I think that was, you know, one of the reasons why I kind of got to it to where I'm at is that, 
you know, when I started doing this, um, it was just kind of for my own amusement and there was a small audience and then, you know, things started growing a little bit and, you know, somebody would post something on a message board or whatever, but for the most part, like writers were really reluctant to use this stuff. And so the turning point was really, you know, coaches dropping my name at a press conference or whatever mm-hmm. saying, Hey, you know, this is, this is the stuff I use for, for game preparation or, or whatever. Um, you know, they drop a, a tidbit from my site and, so then writers would have to be like, well, I need to look at what's going on on the site. And they, you know, they drop my name in a, in a column and then, you know, things would start to take off. But the coaches are really the ones that I think, get, you know, gave my work the ultimate credibility early on. And obviously um, that's still a factor to this day because I've gone to really the subscription model. So a lot of my work isn't just like out there freely. So when the coaches are saying that they use it, it kind of, I think, piques the interest of writers and, and fans alike. What coach do you think is most into it? Uh, I don't know that one jumps out, uh, as being obviously, um, you know, using it the most, but I mean, there's, you know, there's a variety of like kind of big name, big name coaches that use it. I mean, uh, Chris Holtman at Butler, um, is into it. Sean Miller at Arizona, um, has, has dropped him a few times and, sometimes comical fashion, but, uh, but his staff, you know, that's kind of the basis for what they do. Got Drew Baylor, you know, he was one of the early coaches I consulted for and, and, you know, he's kind of moved on and has, you know, make sure he always has kind of a smart analytics guy, uh, working for him. But, um, you know, a lot of the underpinnings of that work is, is, you know, what's on my site. So, um, so those are the few, few names I'll drop. There's all, you know, Jim Laranaga at, at Miami, like he's kind of, I don't think he necessarily has his hands in the data, you know, himself, but he's like big into it. And, you know, their team, you know, kind of sets team goals based on my site. Hmm. Uh, Chris Mack and Xavier, you know, there's a few out there that um, kind of use my site for like team goals as well. So, uh, so yeah, there's a few guys out there. So what are you up to right now? Um, it's, you know, it's a, the off season is uh, a, a, a cherished off season. Let's put it that way. Uh, I mean, it, there's a lot of like kind of long-term projects, you know, we, you know, we talked about how the site runs kind of itself during the season. Well, the only reason it does that is because I'm kind of writing a lot of code during the off season. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to like adding features or things like that, um, you know, I have to take, really take care of that now as opposed to in the middle of the season. Um, so, uh, so there's a, a few things going on. Um, right now I'm kind of hammering out, uh, uh, a win probability model. So I have, you know, graphs for basically every game that show like kind of the win probability trace hmm. um, during the game. And I've had that for a few years, but uh, you know, I just need to kind of update, trying to modernize the graphics a little bit and update um, the formula underneath it because I've had, you know, a few more years of data to work with and maybe make the formula um, a little bit better. And there might be like, you know, kind of other uh, uh, insights that can be gleaned um, from that model, which I'm trying to, trying to dig through, uh, this week. So, uh, it's a lot of, uh, yeah, projects that, you know, discussing the plans for is not exciting at all. Like it bore people pretty quickly, but hopefully that like the, the results from that work will be interesting. And, uh, in the past few years, I've, you know, kind of written posts on my blog about these projects and, and, uh, you know, last year I did something on foul trouble, you know, kind of like how coaches, handle players in foul trouble and how players uh, handle themselves when they're in foul trouble. And it's a lot of tedious research that takes weeks and weeks to 
complete. And so, uh, so that's, uh, that's part of what I do, uh, in the off season. You've written a lot about fouling up three too. Yeah. I, I should update that research as well. That's, um, <laughs> it's, it seems like it's kind of commonly accepted now that, uh, that's what you should do in pretty much every circumstance, right? Within a certain like frame right. of time, um, was between like four and seven seconds, you know, basically before somebody has yeah. a chance to get a shot off or whatever. Yep. Yep. And I mean, so, you know, and I wrote that, I was probably three years ago now, I think I wrote it and admittedly, like I haven't, I've probably only seen, you know, oh, maybe only like two or, well, there's a few more cases, I guess, that have happened where the team has fouled and it's blown up on them. Um, there's definitely one that happened last year in conference tournament time. And I can't remember, but the thing is like, you know, those do not get publicized at all. And, uh, oftentimes like, you know, team will file up three and the game will, you know, something will blow up on them and they'll end up going to overtime. They'll still win. So nobody really talks about it, but, uh, I do need to update that research because it does. I mean, as you point out, overwhelming, uh, conventional wisdom says to foul up three. And I mean, I think there are like, like you said, there are specific times where it, you know, it works between four and seven seconds and uh, depending on the personnel that you have and the, and the opposing team's personnel, there are times where it makes sense. And certainly I think the improved three point shooting over the last you know, few seasons, maybe it makes more sense to do that. It is mm-hmm. something I would, I would like to do, but that's another, another project that you can't just, you know, people want quick answers and they'll, you know, mm-hmm. uh, they'll just look at a couple of games and say that proves their point, but really if you want to do it right, you got to look at every single game that's been played the last five years and, and figure out, you know, when a team's using one strategy or the other and, and how often they win using those strategies. And, uh, so it takes time to do is the bottom line. And, uh, I'm not sure that I will have the time to do that this off season, but it's definitely something on my mind. How much do you pay attention to the draft? Uh, qu- quite a bit. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, there's kind of the only game in town at this point. So, uh, certainly from the standpoint of, you know, you mentioned that scheduling project, basically helping coaches, you know, with the scheduling, it's, you know, I produce these preseason ratings for next season. So that's obviously dependent on the decisions of a lot of guys on whether they're going to go pro or not. So that's, uh, you know, something that's going to shake out in the next couple of weeks. So, uh, so for that reason as well, um, you know, I pay pretty close attention to it. Any, anybody in particular that you like, I mean, there, there's the obvious guys that are kind of projected high, uh, the, the Fultzes, the balls, uh, Josh Jackson, Jason Tatum, uh, any of those guys in particular that you're, you're a big fan of, or I guess based, um, based on the numbers and, and your research that, that jump out to you. Yeah. I mean, I think those are the guys like the, the number side of it is interesting. You, you tend to find out that the numbers match up pretty well with like the scouting consensus. So if you look at like a mock draft right now, you're kind of getting an idea of what the scouting consensus is for the most part. And uh, the numbers do a pretty good job, like matching up with that and where there are differences, uh, you know, you, you uh, tend to find that the, scout, the scouts are better at it than, than uh, the models are. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, it's another area where, kind of gained respect for scouts you know they'll you know like a guy like harry giles is a great example where i mean i don't know where he's gonna end up but right now you know you look at a mock draft and he's uh safely in the first round and the numbers you look at on him are you know he didn't really have an impressive year at duke but um chances are i mean if 
that consensus holds up to draft day and he is a, you know, projected first round pick, chances are, you know, he'll have a, you know, decent career in the NBA. Um, obviously getting picked that late, there's, there's a wide uh, variety of, uh, of possible outcomes, but, um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of the, the bottom line is that for the most part, you know, the numbers do not beat the scouts when it comes to evaluating basketball talent. They can beat the scouts, they can beat, you know, coaches in other ways, but in that area, it's, I still think it's it's really really difficult. There's no top ten guy that you're not crazy about. Uh, yeah, I, nothing. <laughs> no, it's kind of a dull answer, but yeah, nobody really jumps out at me at the moment. What about somebody that maybe isn't projected to go as high, or a borderline second round type guy that whose numbers are really good, who you maybe are a fan of that that you think could be effective. Uh, that, uh, we got a lot of people around here paying attention to Nigel Williams Goss and he was extre- <laughs> extreme, extremely efficient. And, uh, you're, you're not really seeing, you want, yeah. you're not really seeing him, uh, in mock drafts. It'll be interesting to see where he goes once the workouts in the combine. Yeah. You know, the go. guy that like you think about that, uh, that I would compare to him at least in terms of situation is, uh, you know, Fred Van Vliet from last year, who mm. also was like not in anybody's mock drafts and didn't get drafted, but, uh, you know, basically was on a roster all year, you know, played for the Raptors and, hmm. you know, comes out of a really like high level mid-major program experienced player. I mean, obviously Williams Goss has, uh, you know, he wasn't with Gonzaga the whole time, but, um, you know, has a lot of experience and played on a really good team. And so, uh, those are the kind of guys, honestly, like the, the good players out of really good programs, um, that do tend to find their way to a roster. Like uh, I would, I would doubt that he's like going to play a prominent role anywhere next Mm. year, maybe anywhere in his career. But, but I would say that like, I definitely, as far as like an undrafted player, if he is undrafted and again, like this far out, even four or five weeks out, it's like really unpredictable in the second round, even late first round. But, um, but even given that, like if he doesn't get drafted, uh, he would certainly be one of the top guys. I think that, would end up, uh, you know, making a roster out of camp next year. Yeah. Any question in your mind that Fultz is number one? Uh, yeah, I could, uh, I could see him not being number one. Um, oh, I guess not necessarily that he'll get picked number one, but that he is the guy that should go number one, or even if you're just projecting the top, you know, 10 guys. Yes. So, uh, yes, there is, there would be questions in my mind that he should be number one. I mean, it's, you know, when you look back on drafts, like, and there's a whole lot of, rarely does the number one guy end up being the best guy. I don't know. I don't want to say rarely, but mm. there are many cases where the number one guy ends up not having the most productive career. Mm. And um, that's obviously, a, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty type thing. But even looking forward, like, I think people overestimate the uh, amount of predictability that you would have over, uh, you know, 19 and 20 year old college basketball players. Uh, there's just, uh, you know, so many variables that go into it. So, uh, I mean, to answer your question, like, I, you know, I don't know if Fultz is going to go number one or not, but I do think that there are, you know, this far out, it's definitely not a certainty. Like Lonzo Ball could impress enough people that uh, he would go first. Um, you know, I suppose Josh Jackson is potentially in that mix, but um, it's definitely not a certainty that Fultz goes number one. And it's even less of a certainty that he ends up, you know, being the best player in this class. 
Have you ordered Lonzo's shoe yet? <laughs> I, I have not. I have not. Although, you know, the, the one question I have about all that, like, I heard, you know, they were saying, like, after the first day, like, 5,000 people had ordered the shoe. Like, where, where did that number come from? I didn't like, hear 5,000. I heard, like, I think I, I remember hearing 495, which struck me as weird because that's how much the shoe costs. But I didn't hear 5,000. Yeah, no, five, yeah. 5,000 is out there. It's, that's wow. Wow. The number, and I don't know if it came from LeVar or who it came <laughs> I'm from. I guess it, it was came like, from did, LeVar. <laughs> did any, was anybody, like, skeptical at all of that number? Like, it's kind of a nice round number, you know? Like, yeah. where did that come from? Like, do you, I mean, it's possible 5,000 people bought it, but I don't know who's spending, like, I can get, like, spending 500 bucks in a shoe. Like, I get there's some people out there that would do that, but spending 500 bucks in a shoe is not going to be available until Thanksgiving. No refunds either. That's a little bit crazy, right? Like, I don't, I don't know what's going on there, but I just, I just thought I'd bring that up. I don't know where that number came from, but I'm a little skeptical of it. Yeah, as you probably should be. Uh, projecting way, way out to next season. Uh, what you know, When you think about next year, when you think about kind of the college basketball landscape, first thing that comes to mind? Well, it's going to be uh, – it appears that it's going to be pretty wide open. Like, uh, you know, People are talking about Michigan State because Miles Bridges is back. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and they got freshmen coming in that should make an impact. Arizona is going to be really good. Uh, Kentucky is going to be really good. Even if uh, Diallo ends up committing uh, to the NBA, like Kentucky's still going to be really good. Villanova is still going to be really good. Um, Carolina is going to be going to be good. So there's a lot of like, there's no, in my mind, nothing close to an obvious number one. And there's probably seven or eight teams that uh, will all have some sort of claim for it at the beginning of the season. So, uh, um, I think, uh, yeah, when I think about next season, at least to start of the season, should be wide open. You know, the team might emerge as the season goes on, but uh, it, it should be a, another kind of interesting year where we, you know, it's not a super team at the top, and, you know, any, any one of eight or nine teams um, could be thought of as, as the favorite uh, heading into the season. Yeah, well, we'll look forward to that. In the meantime, enjoy your offseason <laughs> as much as you can, write in code. And kind of get things lined up for next year. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's always enjoyable. It's fun, you know. The the season's great too, but I'm definitely not one of those guys who's like, you know, at the end of the season, like, oh man, I wish we could just start it up again. Like, no, <laughs> I'm good. I'm cool with the off season. I can work at my own pace. You know, enjoy the nice weather. So, uh, so I do. Uh, whether I'm working or or not, um, it's it's all it's all good in the off season. So uh, don't worry about me. <laughs> well, thanks, Ken. Really appreciate it. All right, thanks, Arne.